sustains us in righteousness. So, Lord, we ask that as we come to your word tonight, uh, often a familiar passage for most of us, that you'd remind us afresh of your love for us. And, Lord, that you'd challenge us to, be, uh, to love like Jesus, to love each other in the church so that we can win people over to Jesus in our community. We pray these things in his name. Amen. One of the things that I like to do in my spare time is I like watching random videos on the internet. And I remember one particular video. It's of a wedding dinner. And some of you know at wedding dinners, the groom or the bridal party, they sometimes do some sort of item, maybe a song or a dance, something like what Rochelle did just then. Well, in this particular wedding dinner, I think they were American, the groom stands up and begins to sing a Korean song. Don't know why he did this. And the song he chooses is called Wedding Dress. It sounds pretty fitting, right? But what this guy didn't know, and what made this video go viral, was that this guy, remember he's at his wedding, and his new wife is next to him? He wasn't singing a happy love song. In fact, he was singing a breakup song, a reminiscing song, a song of regrets and wishes about an ex-girlfriend in her wedding dress. He thought he was singing a love song. He thought he was being romantic, but the words were just saying something a little bit different. Well, this is kind of a little bit of what happens when people come to today's passage. 1 Corinthians 13, we all know it. The famous love passage is used in weddings, in Hallmark cards, and in Christian love songs. And one of my pet peeves is that so many times we rip this passage out of context. Yep, it's about love. There's application in this passage about love. We think that Paul's being a romantic here. But the words, the context, and the tone, I think it's saying something a little bit different that sometimes we don't address or see. When my brother got married a couple years ago, guess what passage he picked? 1 Corinthians 13. And guess who he had to read the Bible reading? Me. So as we come to tackle this passage tonight, I must admit it is a really beautiful passage. I can almost hear the pulp in me speaking as I read through it through the week. But as we've been going through Corinthians, I hope you've seen that this church is nothing but lovely. It's divided, it's messy, and it's about to explode. We've seen it in the past few chapters. And as we come to this particular passage, Paul doesn't just go on holiday. He doesn't just digress and talk about something nice for a change. So we need to stop thinking that Paul suddenly changes and becomes a romantic. No, because these words in context are saying something else. He's still addressing these divisions, these issues, and he's still challenging, rebuking, and encouraging. And as we come to this passage tonight, we need to understand how this famous love passage, it's about love, but we need to understand how it fits into Paul's teaching and what God wants to get out, what God wants us to get out of it as a result. If you just have a peek in your Bibles to the end of chapter 12, we'll see that Paul's been talking about gifts. 
And this is in re- response to a particular group in the church. It was most po- probably a group who championed this gift of speaking in tongues. These guys, they thought they were the true spiritual Christians. They were the top dogs, the real deal. And Paul reminds them in chapter 12 of the diversity in the body of Christ, that we're all different. Look around here. And we're all spiritual. And God uses all of us, every single one, for his glory. And chapter 12 finishes with this transition at the end. And yet, I will show you the most excellent way. Paul's saying, you see, gifts alone, they aren't enough. So as we come to tonight's passage for the Church of Corinth, this is Paul's challenge. This is Paul's solution. This is Paul's most excellent way forward. And this passage neatly falls into three sections, the first being from verses 1 to 3, and I've titled it, Without Love. Because if we don't love one another, what does it prove? Verse 1, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. These Corinthians, they thought they hit the top, that they were spiritual superstars. All this because they could speak in tongues. Some even thought that they were super spiritual. They were in touch with heaven and speak the language of angels. But Paul says, come on, guys. Without love, what does it prove? He says, you're just an annoying noise, an empty noise, just like those gongs and cymbals that you sell in your city markets. And the Corinthians knew all about this because they were famous for their bronze gongs and cymbals and other wear. Have a look at verse 2. It says, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge... And if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. This time, Paul picks on another gift. Remember, the Corinthians, they love wisdom. They crave knowledge. So Paul mentions prophecy. And then, just to widen it a bit more, Paul mentions faith. Any gift, in fact. But without love, what does it prove? Paul says, you're nothing. You're not spiritual You're not top stuff. You're a spiritual zero. In fact, you don't even exist. You're nothing. And Paul keeps going with this in verse 3. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Now he departs from gifts and just gives an example of an attitude. And he talks about a great gesture here giving away everything to the poor. Your new iPhone 7, your car, your house, your money, everything. An amazing act of generosity. But without love, doing it just to boast, what does it prove? Paul says, you've actually gained nothing. It might look extraordinary, but you got it so badly wrong. And that's what the Corinthians were doing. That's what they were getting wrong. During the week, I was planning to bake some banana bread. I had my overripe bananas ready. I turned my oven on. It was preheating nicely. And I'd already melted the butter. But then I realized that I was missing the most basic ingredient. I was missing flour. You need flour to make bread, obviously. 
but I just didn't have any. Actually, I did, but I found out when I opened the container that there were ants mixed in the container. I was so focused on making the bread that I forgot the most basic ingredient. But these Corinthians, they were so focused on gifts, on possessing the so-called spiritual gifts, that they forgot the most basic ingredient. They forgot to love. They forgot to love one another in the church. And I think this is a big reminder for us tonight. I know that God has blessed all of us here with various gifts, skills, abilities, knowledge and wisdom, interests and concerns. But if we go about any of these things without love, what does it prove? If we lead without love, if we speak without love, if we relate without love, if we serve without love, what does it prove? Well, Paul says, we're nothing. We gain nothing. We're just some annoying noise in the background. We don't build up the church. In fact, we distract the church. The church becomes divided, just like the church in Corinth, a church that's without love. So Paul moves on, and he reminds the Corinthians what love looks like. It's obvious that this loveless church really needed this. And for today, as we focus on growth and our ministries, as we respond to various issues in society, as we consider all the diversity and differences in the church, and even when we deal with the day-to-day -day stuff in the church, the tensions we have, like maybe the color on the wall, the music we sing, and how sweet the communion juice might be, we probably need a reminder of what love looks like. What is love? What's this love that God wants us to put on? Well, it's not like the kind of love that we hear on the radios today. Our great Australian poet, Kylie Minogue, puts it this way. She says, thought I was going crazy, just having one of those days here. Didn't know what to do, then there was you. And everything went from wrong to right, and the stars came out and filled up the sky. The music you're playing really blew my mind. It was love at first sight. To state the obvious, hopefully, this isn't the kind of love that Paul's talking about here. You see, this love isn't about how I feel, but it's about behavior. It's about what I do to serve others. And as we look at this next section from verses 4 to 7, Paul, the poet, pieces together this perfect description of love, a description that's so elegant on the outside, but as we'll see, every description here is pointed directly at this divided and messy church. In fact, if you turn each of these descriptions upside down, that's exactly what the Corinthians were like. So Paul starts off with two positives. Love is patient. Love is kind. Both of these are attributes of God from the Old Testament. He's patient with us, and he's kind. He's merciful with us. But the Corinthian thing, but patient and kind. They couldn't even wait for others to eat together in chapter 11. So that's the love they needed to practice. That's the love that we're to put on, imitating God's love and seeking the good of others. And then Paul moves on. He mentions eight to describe love. 
It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Remember, uh, earlier in the series, in chapter 3, the Corinthians they were jealous of people and who they were following. In chapter 4, they were boasting in themselves and being self-seeking. In chapter 5, they were proud and delighting in sexual immorality. In chapter 6, they were keeping records of wrongs and going to court over it, on and on. This other person-centered love is exactly what's missing here. And finally, a fourfold expression of love. I like how the ESV translates it here. It says, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And note the word all or always. Love isn't something that we just turn on and turn off. It's not something that we do just when we feel like it or when it's someone that I get along with. But love characterizes the church always, all the time. You see, these Corinthians, they thought they were so spiritual that they had all the prize gifts and all the wisdom in heaven and on earth. But as we read this description and look at this letter as a whole, they were missing the most basic thing. They didn't have love. They forgot what love was. And all their gifts, all their, gifts, all their wisdom, it all amounts to nothing. So love is the answer for these Corinthians. This love, this other person-centered attitude that influences our behavior and practice. This attitude that, that's embodied most primary by the person of Jesus. Because remember, for Paul, the Christian life is all about imitating Jesus. And as we think about this task of practicing this kind of love, it's not easy, is it, all the time? We've all failed. We all forget. We all struggle to hit the mark at times. We struggle when uh, we disagree with someone while we're at church serving, or maybe you have a different idea about church to someone else, or maybe once you relate to someone that you don't really get along with. So while we consider this challenge by Paul, he also wants, consider, he also wants us to cast our eyes on Jesus. He's the example of love for us, Christ's perfect love, whom sets us free to live for him. So what is love? Behind this poetic description, we find a damning rebuke of these Corinthians that amidst their focus on gifts and spirituality, they were missing this other person attitude, this other person-centered attitude of love. And says to them, God reminds us, you might have these gifts, you might have these skills, knowledge, abilities, but this is how you're to behave, to be patient, kind, to stomp out all your pride and arrogance, to think about the other person, to do life with the whole body of Christ, to protect, to bear with each other, to trust and see the best in each other, to hope and keep looking forward regarding each other, and to persevere and to keep going with one another. That's what love is. That's the love that God 
wants our church to put on. Not just the shallow feeling, not just the behavior that we turn on and off, but a real and permanent attitude of love. You see, love is permanent because we're all called to have this attitude. But also as we move on, it's also because love is here to stay. Verse 8, because love never fails. It's permanent. It's our attitude, motivation, both now and into eternity. And that's what the last section focuses on here. I wonder if you focused on something that just didn't last. I started collecting CDs when I was in high school because I really liked music. I had English music CDs, Christian music CDs, and even Chinese or Korean music CDs. I don't even understand half of it. But now, all of them are sitting in a box in the corner of my living room, just collecting dust. They just didn't last. Now we have computers and iTunes and iPhones and things like that. Some of you have been playing Pokemon Go, hours and hours and hours on this game. And one day, it's going to be history. It's not going to last. And these Corinthians, they were focusing on these gifts, good as they are. But Paul says that in contrast to love, gifts simply will not last. Verse 8, love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. We know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. The Corinthians with tongues, they thought that they were spiritually complete. But Paul says that when you get to heaven, when completeness actually comes, he says tongues will be no more. Knowledge will be no more. Even Paul's favorite gift of prophecy or teaching will be no more. In fact, when you get to heaven, you won't need any gifts. Prophecy, knowledge, tongues, it's only a little glimpse into God and eternity. And at the end, they will all disappear. There won't be any need for gifts because everyone and everything will be complete and whole and perfect. So Paul says, stop focusing on gifts because they simply will not last. And he illustrates this point with two different analogies. And Paul's using these analogies as throwaway illustrations. So we don't need to get into it too much. We just need to understand how it works. The first is in verse 11. He says, When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. When children grow up, they get rid of their childish ways. No more playing with food. No more rolling around and crying and whining, I hope. And similar with these Corinthians. When they get to the end, there's no more gifts. They're gone. They're done away with. They simply will not last. And the second, the second analogy and an explanation is found in verse 12. For now we see only a reflection as in, as in a mirror then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. The Corinthians, they were famous for their bronze mirrors. And a mirror, if you look into one, 
it sees things indirectly. Right now, we see God and understand eternity indirectly. We know that and we're sure of it, but we're not actually there yet. And these gifts of tongues and knowledge and prophecy, they give us a glimpse of what to expect when we're there. But when we see God finally in eternity, when we see him face to face, we'll know everything fully, just as we're known by God fully. You see, there won't be a need for gifts at all. They simply will not last. So gifts will last, but love never fails. Love never ends. When we get to heaven, there's no use for gifts, but we'll still be loving one another. Paul says, that's why you need to get over your gifts. That's why you need to focus on love. And the passage, the passage finishes in verse 13. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. The early church, they were familiar with this group, this triad of faith, hope, and love. It's a foundational description of a Christian faith, resting in Christ's sacrifice for eternal salvation. Hope, a certain expectation of eternity with God. And love, living out Christ's other person attitude. But even within these three, love is still the greatest. Because when we reach eternity, even faith and hope will be fulfilled. But love remains for all eternity. Love will always last. Love never fails. It never ends. So Paul urges this church to stop focusing on things that don't last, stop, to stop being puffed up over what gifts they had, but instead to practice love, this virtue, this behavior, this quality that lasts both now and into eternity. And God calls us this evening likewise to love now, to love today, to have this other person attitude now, to promote love above seeking gifts or knowledge or anything else, to practice love in this fellowship, a love that brings glory ultimately to Christ as we look forward to loving each other forever in heaven. Or well, some of you might have expected a nice, flowery, lovey-dovey sermon tonight. But I hope you've seen that this passage is found in a context with very little love. It's a church full of pride and divisions. And this passage is, in fact, like a rebuke and a challenge to this Corinthian church. They desperately needed to practice love, and they desperately needed this other person-centered attitude. Because without love, in poor words, they're, they're, they're nothing. And gifts... They simply will not last. But I wonder how we're going with this as a church today. It's easy, you see, to focus on growing a church, to focus on leading, serving, growing our gifts, going about in our lives in this church, and just to simply forget about love, to forget about putting others first, to forget about building each other up, so let me ask, what kind of lover are you? Is it all about me? Is it that kind of love? Or is it this other person-centered love? 
this other person attitude that's active in your life and in this church. As I was going through this passage this week, I had some time to reflect on myself. And I thought about people in the church that I might not get along with the best. Am I really loving these guys the way that Paul talks about, the way that God wants me to? I thought about some relationships where I'm in a bit of conflict with people. How can I put them first? How can I relate with them and figure things out the way that God wants me to? I thought about some of my views and my opinions in the church. How can I go about these things, these things I believe in, with love? And how can I build up those around me? Well, how about you? Think of the people right here tonight. Are you practicing this sort of love? Or is this love missing, this basic ingredient missing from our fellowship? You see, when we look at history, uh, history tells us that the Corinthian church didn't heed God's warning. In 2 Corinthians, if you skim forward, the church is still divided and it's still loveless. And letters from the early church, uh, fathers to this church, showed that they were still dealing with the same issues, division, lack of love. They were dealing with these things years, decades later. And the church ended up, ironically, like Paul said, they amounted to nothing. This loveless attitude was their downfall. And they were never able to really influence their city or their state. Surely we don't want Sunnybank District Baptist Church to meet this end, to amount to nothing, to be ineffective in reaching our community. So let's heed God's challenge tonight to champion this attitude of love in this church, to shift the attention from me to God, from me to others, from you to others, to work together, to be other person focused, to build each other up instead of dragging each other down and doing it all for the glory of Christ and to build his kingdom and community here around us. So let's pray to this end. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you know each and every one of us. You know perfectly well that we're all messy, we're all sinful people. Yet you call us into a saving relationship with you. You're patient with us and you showed us your kindness and mercy. Lord, we ask tonight that you'd instill in us an attitude of love, that we may turn our eyes away from ourselves and look to Christ and how he loved us and look out for the needs and concerns of those around us. Lord, help us to seek their growth and their good. Lord, help us to see how central love is in your coming kingdom and teach us to love the way that Christ loved us. Lord, we ask these things not for our own glory, but for yours, for the building up of your church, so that people would know Jesus and love him. We pray these things in his precious name. Amen.